it's very important as a CEO to acquire a lot of skills yourself or even hire someone to act more of a, as a consultant who can teach you the skills. And then you can make the decision. Welcome to Lessons in Leverage, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of success. We'll help you unlock the secrets of leverage so you can amplify your impact in the world. Here's your host, Spencer Lowe. Welcome back to another episode of Lessons in Leverage. I'm excited today to have Zach with me. Zach is the CEO and co-founder of a company called FilterOff, which is a video speed dating app that's been recognized by the New York Times, the BBC, and reached number one on Product Hunt. And amongst the many accomplishments uh, Zach has, he also is passionate about technology and health, helping people in creating genuine connections. And when he's not working, he loves to travel, listen to podcasts and work out. So uh, Zach seems like a very interesting guy to me. And so I'm excited excited to be able to dive into his journey today. Zach, thanks for uh, being on the podcast with us here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Spencer. So I know that uh, you know you went to Syracuse, got a degree in master's in information systems or information management, and then started off your career with Johnson and jo- Johnson doing product analysis. Talk to me about you know that moment where you're out of college, you are kind of in the corporate world. Talk to me about the moment where you started to make a shift in your mind towards entrepreneurship, or what was that journey like from kind of that corporate world, and what changed for you, either mindset wise, beliefs, habits? What started to change that pushed you towards entrepreneurship? Yeah, so it actually came prior to the corporate world uh, oh. i started my first uh startup my senior year of college i was actually a history major i originally wanted to go to law school and then starting that first company i said screw that i want to do tech and build things it just seemed so much more fun and creative and much more aligned to my interests and the goal from there was to build a company that could allow me to be financially independent However, I ended up getting a corporate job while still working uh, on my startup with the goal that one of them would work out and go full time. So that's always been a mindset of mine, but having the belief that one would eventually work out with one of them. Yeah, certainly. I think that's really important. You get people that are pretty um, dogmatic about like, you should always start as a side hustle or you should never have a side hustle. You should go all in on whatever your thing is and, and people can sort of usually based on their own experience, kind of say, get hyper fixated on one particular path. So I love meeting people that have these different paths that they've taken into entrepreneurship because there's so many successful ways that you can make it work. And what I love about that mindset is it aligns to something I personally believe, which is no matter what you do, you have to be finding ways to be shifting probabilities in your favor. And so whether it's going all one-on-one, whether it's doing things, testing multiple things, this idea is for me is that People that I've met that are really successful always have a way of shifting these odds so that they're not just sort of ever sitting on their butt and sort of have, have nothing to show for it. So I love that for you, you're able to sort of pursue them in parallel, knowing that something would work out and it would get you closer to your long-term kind of financial goal. With that in mind, uh, how did you decide what to do on the entrepreneurial side? Was was um, uh, filter off? Was that a, a, a spin out or a continuation of what you started while you were in college? Or did you try a few things before you found that to be the company that you really wanted to build? Yes. I tried many things. My first, when I was a senior in college, I built a a startup that helped college students uh, gain real world experience. So I think it was always this love around like human connection. That didn't end up working out. After that, I did build a dating blog. So online dating was always a passion of mine. I think it was just really unique 
I saw the rise of online dating with Tinder in about when I was like 20. I was always interested in human connection and doing it in different sorts of ways. So I had this dating blog called Top Romp, which reviewed different dating apps and hacks for the modern dater. Ended up selling that blog. Uh, I also ran a mental health online community called 18%. Uh, again, around human connection, it provided peer-to-peer support. We partnered with the Christ X-Line, many suicide hotlines around the United States. So it was a really special project of mine. And then uh, launched uh, Filter Off, which I'm still working on today. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I uh, I remember I got married right around that same time where... Um, for us, like Tinder was starting to come up, but it was still had a little bit of a stigma, sort of a carryover from the 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 day before that of like uh, eHarmony and kind of the original dating sites that sort of had this stigma around them of like you met them online, like that's so weird, that's so wrong, or that's like bad in some way. Had some sort of stigma around it, and then right as my wife and I met each other and got married. At that same time, we had a lot of friends that were starting to be like, oh, we met on Tinder, whatever, and kind of quiet about it, Didn't felt embarrassed. And it's crazy how in just 10 years, we've gotten to the point where that's gone from this sort of uh, stigmatized, uh, perceived in a certain way type activity to the absolute default primary way people are meeting and connecting is now online in just 10 years. And to look at how fast that's moved. What have you noticed and what, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've seen of that evolution from around 2012 to now? What has changed in that space that you think is really interesting for people to understand? Yeah, I mean, to get to your point, there was a major stigma. Tinder destigmatized and it was very important for online dating. I mean, prior to 2012, people typically didn't share the men on dating app. They were definitely embarrassed. I mean, Tinder since 2012 at first, it was a very cool dating app, young. Now it's considered a hookup app. So it's interesting how brands also evolve and that even though Tinder is their cash cow, match groups cash cow, I mean, they've always tried to rebrand. Right now, they're focused more on Gen Z. They've gone through many CEOs. So it's definitely been a challenge uh, to make it no longer a hookup app, but they've always had that issue. Yeah. So, but then I think where we came into play was people tired of swiping we launched right before the pandemic i was a big proponent of video i just thought it makes so much more sense just going on a facetime day before meeting someone in person we launched before the pandemic pandemic hits everyone's at home the rise of video and we were kind of right place at the right time and that's how we really took off and got all this major coverage around the world um just around like this way to date safely from the comfort of your own home. What and how do you how do you see that in terms of uh, what does that change for the users? Right, what does that do to to Swift Video? I mean, obviously, it's a key element of what you guys offer and and your approach to this. What has that done that has been higher leverage and has gotten bigger results for people in terms of maybe fighting? It sounds like you see that as part of the fight against this hookup culture um, kind of element of online dating. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting even. Uh, online dating has now become even more. I think video is like a very important feature for the industry. And now it's even focused on more. People are getting swipe fatigued. They want more uh, specific, curated, vetted. So that's that's why we actually launched a matchmaking service as well. But I think video is key for a number of ways. For one, uh, when you're just messaging back and forth, you may think they're amazing over message or maybe really bad over message. 
video just allows you to see them for who they are a much more authentic experience also uh scammers and bots is a major issue when you uh introduce uh uh like video synchronously uh it, it it flushes all that those issues out so there's many issues in the industry and i think just when it comes to people in general video is just a really authentic and efficient way to facilitate human connection yeah i uh i know that one of the companies i invested in it was also a video-based app um, they ended up not surviving it's a different use case in a different industry but one of the things they consistently found in their research was that people have a little bit of an aversion being on video a little bit of like a there's a certain vulnerability to it that makes it more powerful and makes it sort of a, a deeper ability to connect, but also people can be a little bit hesitant about. Have you seen that? And in what ways has that been, you know, maybe an asset for creating more meaningful connection for people versus maybe a challenge of getting people to put themselves out there on video? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the pandemic really was the catalyst at normalizing video. I mean, everyone started using Zoom for work. So going on a video chat with uh, someone you don't know really didn't became more of a no big deal versus pre-pandemic and also just different social apps i mean clubhouse right is very odd it's all audio based which isn't as vulnerable as video but like those different social apps also help just introduce or get people comfortable that's not to say sure are there some people who hate video chatting of course there's always gonna be that subset and we're not a good app for them, but I just truly believe that video is just the best way. Just on the efficiency aspect as well, for meeting someone and then going on this really long date or spending a lot of money, it just saves people time and just leads to better connections. Tell me about um, some of the mental health aspects. I thought it was interesting that you sort of, you know, you created this dating blog, also created the, a community around mental health. There's sort of these two components, and it sounds like they're both showing up. Both these have tied into your start. What do you see as the relationship between those two? Because certainly, anecdotally, just as looking at my friends, family, people I know, I think there's a lot of um, pain around dating. That certainly, there's always dating's always been painful for people, but I think for all of the gains we've had in terms of maybe availability and quick connections and things online, it's also had other, I think, negative and detrimental effects. What have you seen in that space and what, how have you blended sort of the mental health side and your mission to help connect people? Yeah, for sure. Good question. I mean, with the rise of online dating, especially since 2012, it's definitely led to people feel super or depressed and you can easy to compare yourself to others how many dates people are going on it's easy to look at a friend's phone and see the types of men or women they're getting because it's all an algorithm at the end of the day so everyone's getting served different sorts of people and swiping is just draining and then and then unfortunately they're scammers that can ruin people's lives uh, getting ghosted is just painful um, getting catfished is frustrating so I think when it comes to dating as a whole, that's why people spend lots of money on courses and they spend lots of money on coaches because they all want to, and then they just want to find love. But uh, it's definitely challenging and it's already gotten harder because of dating and this paradox of choice. Back in the day, people got married within like a one mile radius. Now you can literally change your radius to the whole US if you want to or the whole world. So it's it uh, definitely 
there's a lot of amazing things from online dating, but it's also led to just a lot of tough challenges and things that were just not prepared for mentally. And so with those challenges, what do you guys do to try to combat that? Or is there an area in particular you're working on to try to improve that? Yeah. So we rolled out a matchmaking service. So it allows you to work with a matchmaker. We'll also act as a dating coach. So you have uh, access to your matchmaker, uh, whatever you want to ask questions, get feedback, steam in general, but they also set you up on the dates. So they, uh, during the dates and they also vet the dates. So before your video date, your matchmaker actually talks to your match beforehand, see if they're a good fit for you, see if your interests align. So you won't get scammed. You won't get catfish. And then they put you on a video chat. Then they coordinate your 10 minute video date. So it's kind of like a dating course. They do everything for you and they want you to be successful. And then after the video date, they assess it. They ask you and your match how the date went, and they just help you become a better dater. And our goal is that you go on enough video dates over the course of your matchmaking turn, you level up your dating ability and eventually just meet someone. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. So with that being said, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what it was like trying to get the company started. You know, you're working in corporate America. And you got this vision for kind of wanting to make an impact in an area that you're passionate about and dating and mental health. And what what was starting point for you? What what skills did you have to acquire or build to start to do this? Was did you start from a programmatic side and, and learn development and some of those skills? Did you have to find some other people to to get together into a founding team? Did you start on on your own money? Did you raise money? Tell me about some of those key decisions and just how you worked through the process of all right, I've got my day job. And now, in order to really try to take on this vision I have for dating, bringing video, mental health, how am I going to do that? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's a lot of the skills I've learned from other startups. So, for one, mental health community. So, like building community, growing it organically, leveraging other platforms, partnerships. So, like, for example, when we worked with the Christ Text Line for 18%, it was just like a funnel for people that were not suicidal that would join, but they were just lonely. So finding other partners where it was a really good synergy was a skill set that I leverage uh, for filter off. In terms of other ways, marketing, uh, growing us uh, through, uh, like no one was really capturing the video dating market. So that was something that we leveraged from an SEO perspective, creating different sorts of events on Eventbrite and Meetup. So just using third-party platforms and grew a lot. And then also PR. I did a lot of PR, taught myself how to do PR during this time and during the pandemic. It was so well. Like, it helped us grow tremendously and leverage these articles to eventually get funded. And that I learned on my own uh, just by seeking to people and being around different communities and we were able to eventually raise 2.4 million dollars so yeah it was definitely just like based off past experiences and then new skills that i knew i had to learn in order for us to be successful and for me to yeah eventually just leave my day job sure and so sounds like the 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 recipe there was a heavy amount of sort of marketing community building and uh and brand building uh because you know if you're gonna have an app that's a marketplace 
even if that's a relationship marketplace. Uh, I would imagine maybe you guys see yourself as a marketplace or a platform uh, in that regard that is facilitating these connections. If you're going to get that, you got to have people on it. And so sounds like in order to build something like that, if someone's at home listening to this and they're like, all right, I have this, this vision for a marketplace or some sort of uh, community like this, definitely had to build out a skill set around community building. You did that with the blog. Uh, then there is the skill set around marketing, getting attention, whether that's through PR, articles, um, going and leveraging other platforms and getting the word out. Uh, and there's this partnerships aspect that I think is really powerful as well. Finding other services that are parallel or that run deal with people who are a similar target group and bringing them in. Are there any other that, others that stick out in your mind as we're talking about those that you think we're sort of necessary fundamental building blocks for wanting to be able to go all in. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you, to go raise that money, they had to believe in you as a founder and believe in your team. And so those were maybe some of the blocks that you had on that foundation. What were the other key blocks that then led to being able to go get funding and start to really pursue the vision full time? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot about the like community aspect. Back in the day, we ran a lot of video speaking events and I partnered with different communities that wanted the ability for their members to date safely during the pandemic. So for that, and it was, hey, I want to put on fun, meaningful social activities for my audience. I don't have a platform. I don't want to use Zoom because Zoom is not designed for video speed dating. And Filter Off was like, well, we could build it. So we created like very organization-based dating events. And that's what also attracted uh, the initial investment and it really grew. So, yeah, I think it's just kind of like understanding it's a pandemic. How do we pivot? And pivoting in a way where A, we could eat money or B, just growth. So, I think we took the right steps and now it's focused on a more curated experience. And that's why it wasn't pivoted, but the extension of our company, which is matchmaking. And so, uh, was that something? What type of groups were that that you were interacting with that needed this platform? And are you still focused more on sort of being a platform that other people can use within their organizations? Or have you graduated more to sort of this idea of we are the platform just come to us, whether or not, you know, we're supporting supposed to maybe an event just for you. You can now do this at scale with everyone. Tell me about that evolution. Yeah. Originally, a lot of religious communities uh, used us for their members. They could date um, within their religion or within their community. We created a ton of matches. We even had like rec leagues. We had runners groups, all different sorts of community that create events. And we even made it like self-service. Anyone can create an event, advertise it to their community, even make money, sell tickets. We've actually transitioned. We've evolved getting out of the pandemic. There's definitely been a lot less of a demand for that. It's also made it, it's also much more difficult in terms of when you have a community, especially when it comes to dating, they eventually date so the community kind of just dies out. So, yeah, we've uh, we've evolved to be more of just a platform, a dating app where if you want to lead to a video date, that's what we are used for. So if you match with someone, you're then, uh, you have five days to video chat with them or the match stuff. So we've created more from a user experience for the end user. We still do run like every evening, like a round robin virtual speed dating date night that you could also attend. Um, and then we also have, if you're, if you're taking your dating life to the next level and having a dating coach and matchmaker, you could then hop into that, get assigned someone to help you. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that that certainly solves a need. I mean, I know friends that I've 
have that have various different either religious or social backgrounds that are are wanting to find someone that aligns to their same values, their same shared upbringing or history or culture. You know, sometimes in the online dating world, that might be harder to find or maybe harder to know. Am, am I just sort of digging for this person, looking for someone who aligns my values versus being participating in a shared group? So it's very interesting that you guys saw such success with initially kind of those dedicated groups and now have grown even beyond that. So then as, as you're going forward, what do you see the future to look like? I mean, as you're trying to design this experience that I'm sure your ambition is probably to become the best. I mean, I can't imagine you'd be in business if you weren't wanting to be one of the best you know, services out there for connecting people and helping solve this problem of making online dating less uh, swipey, less superficial, less bot, spammy, less catfished. I mean... I know someone in, in college who was catfished and ended up on Dr. Phil confronting this lady who had pretended to be a man and had talked to her for a year and a half and they'd been in a whole relationship. And I mean, the pain of this for people can be immense. So, so there's a lot of real problems here that it looks like you're trying to solve. What do you see the future as uh, to try to take that to the next level and really fix some of those underlying issues? I really see the future of online dating as being a much more curated experience with a blend of matchmaking with video. Again, video, very efficient, very authentic. Then matchmaking allows for deep curation, vetting, finding a great partner, and marrying the two is what builds their options now. Gotcha. All right, well, um, as you have built the business, I imagine you've expanded, hired some employees. What were some of the skill sets? So post, you've you've raised funding, and then you're you're now in the, in the kind of really trying to grow the business, like you mentioned. What was the next set of skill sets, beliefs, mindsets you had to adopt to start to be successful now? What, what were some of the learnings that you had beyond those initial learnings that were more, say, marketing and PR focused? What came into play as you started to build a team, take on funding? What changed for you there? Yeah, I mean, hiring and letting people go. And I, I think I've learned a lot now doing it and of how either A, I would do things differently or B, yeah, how I just go about it. I think it's very important as a CEO to acquire a lot of skills yourself or even hire someone to act more of a, as it can teach you the skills. And then you can make the decision, hey, do I actually need a dedicated person for this? Or is this something I could take on, have them train, uh, train up? So I think seeing it going through once, I think was a very a fair answer me and you definitely would do things differently what was the biggest mistake you made did you did you lean too much into hiring people to solve problems they just didn't have the skills and then maybe it was hard for you to manage them from because you didn't wasn't there you had experience with or did you what what, what were some of the fallouts of some of the maybe missteps that you made as you were learning yeah sure i think as a ceo you're responsible for kind of like the direction and also like really understanding what it is that you're looking to accomplish and if you understand that skill set thorough uh, then it's easier to then hire correct so like for example i for matchmaking and being the salesperson i said before i hire someone i want to learn and i had some background sales but i end up reading some books and became a pretty good salesperson and then hiring someone based off of what I've learned it made me more effective to hire them versus just hiring someone outright, not knowing what questions to ask, not going through and living it. So that's something that I definitely learned uh, from my experience and applying it or recently. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I saw that in the early days of our business. I think uh, in the startup days of a business and, and when you're when you're under a certain level of employees and everything, this is like maybe the, one of the most important things, which is that you have to have enough clarity and skill yourself to actually build up the team. And, and that's a really hard challenge, especially if there's things you don't know. So you've got to go learn, got to learn new skills, get outside help and figure it out. Because otherwise, just like you said, it's super challenging to be able to either train that person, hold them accountable, find the right person, hire them in the first place. A lot of that, you do sort of have to be this hyper generalist in the early days to be able to learn quickly and then build that team. At least I haven't found a way around it. And and uh, I had a coach that pointed out to me that uh, from zero to say 5 million, and that number will change you know, based on your industry, but early early startup days of, uh, of a company, that is the skill set that makes you successful. And he says, and that's where most private equities acquire and replace the founder, because then from that point forward, it's the exact opposite skill set. And so then you have to yeah. completely change all your thoughts and habits. And so he's like, that can be challenging for a lot of founders or for some. And so uh, I think especially if someone works in corporate America and develops a long career there, that can be shocking to them because the things that were successful there won't work in those early startup days. And then even those things will not work later in the business. And so certainly that's been a theme for me of entrepreneurship that you always have to be learning and growing because what worked for this phase won't work for the next phase and so on and uh and so yeah it's in the early days it's it's so much about learning the all these new skills and then being able to hire the right people so i love that takeaway for the audience Uh, what what for you has been the most rewarding part so far you know when you compare kind of being fully focused on building this business what 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 is worth it satisfying because i mean it's a hard thing and a lot of people wonder man is entrepreneurship for me and People do things that have the strongest reasons. People do things if their why is clear, they're successful because they have these motivating reasons. They find the fulfillment, they find the joy in the process. And so where have you found that joy, that excitement, and that fuel to tackle these hard challenges and to to work through them? I mean, I feel like it's pretty easy when you feel like you're building something that's just much more important than what else is out there. So like in the early stages, it's very focused on video, because like no one really was doing it and having that belief and now it's really just focused on matchmaking us i think we could do it and doing it so much better than others we're just having a different take as well so it just makes it easy when you're really working on something that you believe in that can make a difference for other people yeah i love that i mean having having a vision that's bigger than yourself and that that is focusing on delivering and creating value for others i think is super motivating um as you look at ai and kind of where things are going um what are you most excited about and or what are you worried about you know i'm sure their ai is going to represent a lot of threats in terms of bot spam and different things it's probably going to represent some great opportunities uh, is there anything that you're particularly concerned with in terms of disruption and how that'll affect your business or excited about to be implementing to solve some of the key problems you have yeah i'll just share like uh things that are worrisome less for us but traditional swipe apps are going to continue and you're already seeing it's insane like on a very large dating app how many people are fake and mm. just annoying it's frustrating i mean these companies i would imagine it too um so that's just and you're not going to know if you're not feel so well that's already happened and then but what i'm excited about is just more efficiencies when it comes to online dating um like from a math making perspective how do we make it easier 
for giving these suite of tools for a matchmaker to go faster to help people find matches that they're looking to actually. So there's lots of things around there that we are working on. We have a lot of tech behind the matchmaking service, which is really cool uh, to support and mostly to be more efficient for her client. So that type of stuff, love. Yeah, that's super exciting. Well, if people are interested, if they're listening and they're thinking, hey, this is uh, this seems like something that could be really helpful for me. Maybe they're single. Maybe they're on the marketplace. Uh, where could they best find you, learn more about what you're building, and uh, and educate themselves or connect with you if they have questions? Yeah, for sure. So the app is Filter Off. It's available on Android as well as uh, uh, Apple. Uh, and then I'm also on all the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram. So... Uh, I'm available if anyone has questions or uh, or is interested in also finding love and they can join the matchmaking service right through the app or on our website. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Zach. Thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing some some messages of what around dating, around building a, uh, a startup. We wish you nothing but success. Sir. Thank you so much for having Hey, before you go, I have a small request. Our mission is to empower as many people as possible to maximize their potential through the power of leverage. Could you help us in this mission by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube? And if you know just one person who would benefit from today's episode, would you please share it with them? Your support means the world to us, and we are thrilled to have you in the community. Thank you for being a part of our journey and helping us grow. You can find show notes for today's show and past shows at LessonsInLeverage.com, which also has links to connect with me personally and connect with our various podcast channels across your favorite social networks. A big thanks to Solve.Cloud, who sponsored this episode. They're a group of expert consultants that help SaaS and financial services companies to implement, optimize, and manage Salesforce.com. They can help you with custom integration solutions and are helping customers to implement some of the most important generative AI technologies. You can find them at Solved.Cloud. That's S-O-L-V-D dot cloud is the URL. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.